Jesus. I, I wrestled very early in my life with the understanding of God's sovereignty. And I, I, I basically wrestled with it when I didn't have it under pressure. Uh, because I knew that there would come a time where the pressure of, of figuring out, is God really in control of things, is really going to make a difference in my life. And I noticed during this last six months that I wasn't wrestling with that particular issue anymore. Not because I'm super spiritual, but I think as God matures us, our, our, we, we just progress uh, a little bit beyond uh, kind of some of the initial, like, is there even a God to, is God really in control to where I'm at, which is, I know God's in control, I'm just struggling with his timing. Have you ever noticed that? Timing. So I I say that because there's a large spectrum of us. We're going to talk about planning this morning. There's a large spectrum of us that this issue of planning, which some of you are snickering as you said, he's going to talk to us about planning? Really? This this is going to be good. Um, But Let me ask you this. How many of your questions that you have of God relate to his plans or his will? How many have to 10? You know, I asked that someone. It's like, what percentage of wrestlings with God that you have are related to planning out of 10? Like out of 10 prayer requests, how many of them are related to what God is doing and when and how? I would say... It's miraculous. There's a large percentage, like 70, 80 percent, some of you 100 percent. So when I started thinking about planning, I initially had thought, oh, here, here's an organizational principle thing that shows up in Proverbs. But I began to realize this is an enormous topic. This is tremendously important for us to understand. We need to understand our hearts in planning. We need to understand all of these things. And I I will say, if you you don't know me, you know that I am not a planner by nature. Like, I'm made in God's image, so there's part of the plans that I'm good, but not the good part. Um, But I am married to a planner. I am raising two teenage planners. I work with three planners. Uh, My direct supervisor is a long-range intuitive planner. The chairman of the board of the church that I belong to is an incredible planner. And so I have a lot of experience being around planners and talking to them and living with them and failing in front of them. But I don't feel that I can speak at all from my wisdom Everything I learned this week has been affirmed through my failings. And here's the good news for all of us. If you want to get wiser when it comes to understanding your plans and God's plans, you can. It's available. That's the way Proverbs talks. It's available to you. In fact, the start of wisdom is the admittance that your wisdom isn't very good and someone else's is. Not just God's, but those around you. And so that's where I want, to, I want us to dig in. And 
what I did was, I want to read out all the Proverbs that we're going to kind of deal with, and they are kind of in the order that we're going to deal with them, and then we're just going to walk through uh, basically three things. How to make foolish plans, I'm an expert in that. How to make wise plans, this is what I learned this week, and then understanding God's plans in connection to all of those. Okay, so let's, uh, do we have them in order, or... Do I read them out as we go? I think I read them out as we go. Oh, there we go. First proverb is from Proverbs 16, and it's three verses because it's one whole poem. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, that's what we're going to concentrate, Feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Proverbs 12.20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise or plan evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Proverbs 15.22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 24.27, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Proverbs 16.1-3, the plans of the heart belong to the man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, I've needed your help all week to prepare, and I need it now to deliver to your people what they need to hear. Jesus, may they hear you and your wisdom and forget every, everything foolish that I would say. Jesus, open our hearts to your wisdom. Humble us creating a soft hearts that will allow even, even the expert planners in the room an opportunity to learn and grow and understand. Give us the courage we need to obey what we hear and know we need to change by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So what is, what is a plan? What is a plan? My friend Chris gave me a good phrase. It's risk mitigation. Are you impressed? <laughs> it's essentially trying to get rid of our pain is what planning is. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Plans are actually very good. I, I don't think they're actually neutral. I think they're actually good to start with because I believe all of the things that have 
wisdom in terms of planning are a direct result of who God actually is. In other words, here's something encouraging for you. Do you know why those in the room who liked it? Can I just, who loves to plan? Okay, well over half, okay? Who does not like to plan? Okay, we're about half and half. This is actually pretty good. Now, here's what I found out is that God's a master planner and he put his DNA into us. So that isn't, you don't plan because that was your idea. You plan because God planned it that way. And I think we need to understand that these things come out of a result of God's character, not simply because we need to get stuff done. That's not really our starting point. But God wants us to plan because there are painful things that happen to our lives that are unnecessary. And we know this if you've gone on a trip without a spare tire, right? You don't need to suffer a hot summer afternoon by the side of the road with a screaming baby if you just take the time to fill up your spare tire, right? Hypothetically speaking. It's not, that is pain, and accidents happen, and weird things happen, but planning helps mitigate or stave off unnecessary pain. And so as we, as we walk through this, here's, here's how I want us thinking about this. God is the master planner. All good things come from him. All good things about planning are a result of his character. But let's talk about foolish plans. <laughs> this one's easy for me. But we start off in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19. And that is, evil plans are actually foolish, and foolish plans are evil. Evil plans are foolish. And some of you say, like, wait, wait, wait a second. I don't really plan evil out. Right? I know this is an easy one for us to say. I'm not really that evil of a person or I don't really plan evil. Well, here's the problem with that is that you and I, as the Bible describes us, have kind of a, a broken heart. And if we plan out of that heart, then our plans actually are broken. And I didn't think I was that good at planning evil either. But actually, as we all know, not having a plan is a plan, isn't it? And if you don't plan to follow God, then you're making a plan to not follow God. And that actually, if we take a careful look, we are actually pretty good at planning. In fact, I realize I'm actually an expert planner, but not in the things that are good. I plan evil. I had to admit that. I plan evil because sometimes I know that putting me in this particular situation will, put, will allow for this temptation. I'll go, oh, oh well. Oh well. You see, our, our nature is to plan for ourselves, to make ourselves look great. And that kind of plan is actually considered an evil plan. Anything that we do that hurts others that we think premeditate is an evil plan. This is kind of a, the scary part about planning, is that when you read that out, there are seven things that God hates. 
and one of them is people who devise evil, we immediately separate ourselves from that and say, oh, I'm glad I'm not one of those people. And yet, a careful examination realizes we are far closer to this than we think. Why does God hate these evil plans, you might ask? Here's why. They destroy what he's building. When we sin, we are destroying the things that God is building. When we create tension between family members and community, church communities, when we stir up conflict, we're destroying what he's building, which is community. He's building his church. He's building his kingdom. He wants people together. When we separate that, we are destroying his work. And I would argue that our broken hearts make foolish plans far too often, and we need to understand that, and we need to accept that and confess that to God. But secondly, foolish planning is actually costly. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, and I don't know that I had either. But one of the interesting things is that I saw in... uh, Proverbs 12, 20, it says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. Obviously, this comes from something broken in the heart. But those who plan peace have joy. Now, what's interesting about that particular verse is that those who are devising evil are trying to get joy. They're actually pursuing joy. They're pursuing what will bring them some satisfaction. They're pursuing something that will make them happy, but it doesn't. But here's what the interesting thing is. Those who are trying to plan for other people's peace, they're the ones that get the joy. In other words, one way or another, your plan will cost you something, but a foolish plan will cost you a lot more than you think. Foolish plans are like bad tools. Amen? You ever use bad tools? I'm tired of it. This past week, I made a terrible mistake in one of the construction jobs I made. I decided to buy dollar store roller, paint rollers. (laughs) Yeah. Huge mistake. Do you know why? Because I went back two days later, and all four walls had these tiny flecks of micro fleece all over them. And I had to sand, and I had to paint them again. Okay? So let me walk you through the costs. Those cost me $1.50 or $2 per roll. Good ones cost me about $5 per roll. But... For seven or eight extra dollars, I had maybe three hours extra work and uh, seven dollars. See, I'm not a math person. So in other words, why would I buy the cheap rollers? I, I, I bought them because I thought I was saving money. But what did I save? Nothing! I saved nothing. It cost me more to buy the cheap rollers. Bad tools are, are not really tools. They, they're, they're, they're far more costly. Now, 
If we take that principle, friends, here's how some of our planning works. Let's take the issue of revenge and forgiveness. I know, none of you struggle with this, so I'll just have to speak from personal example. So if you've ever wanted to get revenge, here's what, you th- here's what goes through your mind. This is how I know, this is how I think. I go, oh, okay, well, now I have to find uh, the perfect situation whereby I can perfectly pay back, perhaps maybe even double, uh, for whatever hurt someone has incurred in for, for me, which means I have to watch closely. But I can't meet these people in, a, in an awkward situation, so I have to avoid certain public venues so that I can create a secretive revenge. Do you see how sick this gets, this plan? And you see the cost involved of thinking like this? God's plan is for forgiveness. We think that's foolish. We think our plan for revenge is much better, but here's the problem. Our foolish plan costs us far more than his does. Because when we forgive, the work is over. And when you forgive, you experience freedom that you don't experience if you try to get revenge. When you try to get revenge, when you try to avenge your hurt, you end up being in the prison while the person who hurts you is free. You think getting revenge will get rid of your anxiety. You think it'll bring you joy. You think it'll bring you pleasure. Here's what it does. It gives you more anxiety. It gives you more emotional stress. And now you have less energy to do everything else. In in some cases, it completely consumes you. The very thing that you thought would bring you freedom completely ensnares you. And God offers to us something he calls forgiveness, which he did first for us through Jesus on the cross as a way of showing how this works. But the crazy thing about forgiveness is that there's a little benefit to it, and that is it provides freedom. If you've ever really forgiven someone, you felt it. Isn't it interesting, though, how we actually get to the point where we don't consider this cost? And so foolish plans are actually far more costly, and I challenge all of you to think, not simply about getting better at planning, but the cost of your foolish plans. What relationships have they damaged? What tension do they bring to your friends, your coworkers? I haven't thought about these things very well before. Okay, let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the how to make wise plans. How to make wise plans. I'm going to walk through, I think there's five here. Wise plans. The first one is found in Proverbs 11:14. Wise plans plan for the good of others. Foolish plans, conversely, plan for good only for yourself. So already you're seeing there's a difference between the way God understands wise plans and the way we might understand wise plans. If you have a great plan and you're a great planner and you leave out your plan to benefit others, it's a foolish plan. That's how Proverbs talks. There's there's this... uh, 
sense of where there's no guidance of people falls, but an abundance of counselors, there is safety. That, that has to do with essentially the, the uh, security of a city. In, in other words, if you don't have good plans, lots of people suffer, but with good plans, you can help a lot of people. And all wise plans benefit others. This is incredibly important for us to understand even as a church family. That all the plans that we make as churches, as ministries, as individuals, they should always benefit others. We will always get joy out of it, but they should always benefit others. And there are times when our plans seem strangely to benefit only one or two people. We don't like those plans when we see them, do we? And you can tell very easily. Secondly, wise planners seek wise planners. Wise planners seek wise planners. I am learning this. Uh, 11.14 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. But then Proverbs 15.12 says, A scoffer does not like to be reproved or uh, basically confronted. He will not go to the wise. So that's the opposite side of that wisdom. Wise people go to wise people. Unwise people refuse wise people. Here's what's interesting about this is that there's so much wisdom here. Uh, and I, I want to say, first of all, adv- advisors. What kind of advisors? Well, we actually talked uh, about a couple months ago about the kind of influences that you would bring into your life or allow into your life, good influences and bad influences. Uh, Aaron always gives me the negative version, so I think I had the bad influences. Um, I'm kidding. But essentially, this is talking about quality over quantity. Some of us are not very good at this. We have advisors, but we have two. And those two are yes men or yes women. Right? You brought, you, I, I hear the laughter because I, this is your experience, isn't it? You're like, oh, I asked for my opinion. Oh, yeah, I know what opinion you got. You got exactly what you already had decided or wanted to hear. You only brought this in. But, but Proverbs isn't saying, get, like, get 25 advisors. That's not what Solomon's trying to explain to us. But what he's trying to explain is get quality advisors who, are not, who don't think like you so they can give you angles that you just had not seen. How many of us have been so helped by someone who was willing to tell us something that we didn't really want to hear, but we really needed to hear? And later on, we find out how wise it actually was. Even though it bothered us, even though we may have said something like, mind your own business, it turns out that was really helpful. It really saved us from some things. That's what he's talking about. Uh, involving the counsel of, her, of others maximizes our wisdom and our experience. This is great. If you like efficiency, you should ask for counsel. Because now you don't just have 48 years of experience, you have double that, triple that, quadruple that. You have uh, 
eyes that have different experiences, eyes that see things different, personalities. You can make a much wiser decision if you simply have counselor, counselors. This is why we have a plurality of elders. I love watching this elders group who is, by the way, these personalities are very different from one another. They think differently. Uh, I have made the mistake in the past of, of surrounding myself with leaders who all think alike, and it does not work out well. Wise decisions rarely come out of people who all think the same way. Am I right? I know I'm right because Solomon was right, and I've actually seen this as well, and I've made those mistakes. But, but here's the thing. Involving others in counsel will require humility, doesn't it? It requires you to say, I don't have all the answers. I need some from someone else. And so you can't do any of this without humility, which is actually, as Proverbs uh, basically explains to us, this is the starting point for all wisdom. You cannot be wise according to Scripture, the Bible, unless you first admit that your wisdom is always secondary to God's. And many times it's far further down the line. But here's the amazing thing is that involving the counsel of others doesn't just, it, it, it doesn't just kind of uh, torque on our humility genes. It builds community. Have you noticed when you approach someone and ask them honestly for good advice, how warm and receptive they become to you? I mean, who doesn't like being asked for advice? The reality is nobody asks foolish people for advice. Like, I, make this, I made this joke to Aaron this morning. I said, I'm kind of sad you're not, not going to be here because actually I, I, wanted, I wanted to make fun of myself in front of you to, to show you that he, he was like, oh, you're, always so, you're, you're so hard on yourself, Trev. And I'm like, yeah, Aaron, but here, here's one thing that's never happened in my life. I've got the most amazing friends in the world, I think. They love me to pieces, but not one of them has ever said, Trev, I'd love to sit down with coffee with you and talk to you about how do I manage my time better. <laughs> it, right, guys? And I'm not offended, but it's true. But they have asked about my marriage. They have asked about how I raise my kids. They have asked about other things. But that's one area that they have not asked because they know intuitively you don't ask someone who's not wise in this area for advice. That's just how it works. But what's amazing is I have built much trust because I ask them about it and they have lots to offer me. And this is what God designed it to be like. It actually brings community together. And you notice how resisting the counsel of others, and, and for those of you who have had wise advice and tried to give it to someone and been rejected, how, how well does that relationship go in the future? It likely doesn't go very far because it puts up a barrier. It separates you from community. This is why when you want to do something stupid, you pull yourself away from community because if you have 
wise friends, they will tell you you're doing something stupid. So you have to remove yourself from community to get away with it, or else you'll have to deal with the reality. So God made it this way, that actually the process of gaining wisdom will bring community together. It'll cement community together. But thirdly, wise planning takes time. Wise planning takes time. This is, this is why I don't like it. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like using my time for it. That, that's, that's where my pride really kicks in. It says, uh, in 2018, plans are established by counsel by wise guidance wage war. Now, this isn't a joke either, but we've seen this on the world stage. World leaders who are trigger-happy when it comes to decision-making about wars, right? It's catastrophic. Collateral damage everywhere when uh, world leaders do not take the time to think through, should we go to war or not? But that principle is actually goes a long way. Because I think there are a lot of catastrophic things that happen individually as churches when we don't take the proper time. This is why I love working with my friend Aaron, your pastor and my friend. He's constantly helping me take the time to think through things. He's intuitively asking me questions about my, my long-range plans, not his for me, mine. He's like, hey, Trev, like... Where do you see yourself in the next two years? I'm like, two years? I'm trying to figure out what's the next two hours. <laughs> two, who thinks two years ahead? And then I realized everyone else but me. <laughs> it's just not the way I naturally think. However, I'm humbled by that to go, I have hurt people that I love because I don't think ahead. Because when I get in a jam and I need help, who suffers? They do, not me. I get help, but they're the ones that have to suffer. This is the way it works. If we don't take the time to plan, we don't just hurt ourselves, we actually hurt others around us because they're the ones that have to pick up the mess. They're the ones that have to show up in minus 30 and boost our battery because we didn't plug our car in. You see? It doesn't just cost us. It costs our friends. And if we have good friends, they will look past it. But if we don't have good friends, we lose them. Because we don't take the time to plan. This is why Psalm says, it's foolish not to take the time necessary. You, you, you ca it costs you more than you think. Wise planning takes time. Wise planning, fourthly, considers the cost involved. Prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. You know what the millennial culture says? Build your house, and then after that, go in the field and try and find work. That's what our culture is saying. In other words, we think it's normal to decide our standard of living and then figure out how we're going to pay for it. This is an agrarian culture. They couldn't do that. But the principle is there. 
there are priorities to plans. If you plan out all of your vacation time before you get the job, is that wise? Of course it isn't. Now, should you plan out your vacation time? Family, should we? Yes, we should. If it wasn't for me, we probably wouldn't go and explore different places. If it wasn't for them, the vacation would never happen. So our family and actually my marriage, I feel, is a great gift because I now finally figured out what I offer, the exploration side. But if I don't listen carefully to my wife's plan, you don't book the hotels because they get more expensive the closer you get to the date, right? I know some of you are like, did you just discover that? Yes, I did. <laughs> the problem is I discovered that foolishly. I, I didn't discover that because I'm successful. But wisdom is simply listening and taking that seriously and going, there, there is a reason to sit down in February and talk about your vacation. And it's not because you're trying to avoid fun. It's trying to open possibilities for vacation. That's why. And when I discovered that, I was like, hey, this, this is wise. We should consider the cost of everything. Uh, we, we should understand that there is costs involved even when I don't think there are. And I've put my friends, I've put my family, I've put uh, those who I work with under unnecessary pain and stress because I was just too arrogant to believe God's wisdom. Don't do what I have done. Please, I'm begging you. Lastly, wise planning is patient. Oh, did I say that out loud? Who likes patience? Ever prayed for pa Ever made the mistake of praying for patience? Yeah, you pray for patience and you will get the worst worker show up for you, right? or the worst boss, or the most aggravating situation. Because that's kind of what it takes. Because patience really only comes after a long time. That's why I put up the last here. You, 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 you don't start off with patience. You understand you need it all the way along to do any of these things. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty only comes to... Pro Poverty. My problem is I like being hasty. I, I prided myself on being hasty. And there are some situations where my ability to make fast decisions is very helpful. Not as many as I thought, but what I find the hardest for me to do is to be patient with a plan in all kinds of ways. The word diligent actually means proper heat or attention, meticulous, thorough, <laughs> long-suffering, exhausting, taking all the angles that are necessary. This isn't staving off a plan until the plan's already made for you either. That's sometimes the planning that I see. Someone's like, I take my time to make my plan. No, you don't. You take your time and wait till there's no time left and then someone else has already made the plan for you. That's what you're doing. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about all kinds of different angles. Some plans will be good, but the timing isn't right. 
Some plans take a long time. And if you're trigger happy, you can ruin a great plan with your impatience, can't you? Have any of you ruined great plans with just impatience? Just, just impatience, that's it. Just the right decision just too soon. Yeah. So let's bring this home and talk about this underneath God's plans because there is something that we need to know about all of our plans and that is as we understand God's plans, first of all, all of our plans, if we actually want to be wise, are subject to God's plans. Preeminent. There you go, Julie. You're welcome. It's a word that we find in Colossians. Jesus is preeminent. It actually means surpassing all others. Superior. Superior. God's plan is superior to your plan. That's true wisdom. And some of us are still fighting against this. We get frustrated, not, not simply with God's plan. Maybe we're okay with that. It's just the timing. And that's kind of, as I explained at the very beginning, that's what I was wrestling with, with my younger brother's sickness and then death. God, now? I knew God could bring good out of it. I experienced that through my late mother-in-law, my late father-in-law. I'd seen God redeem these situations, but I just didn't think I could go through it now. Like right now, God, really? And I spent six months submitting to his plan. And already there are some things that I just don't know I could learn any other way and know any other way about God. Not, not about me, about God. There were things that I learned through this that God was like, okay, now you get me, don't you, Trev? And th this, is why, this is why God does this. His plan isn't superior to us just because he's God, although he is. It's because he's got things that he wants to show us about himself. His plan is gracious. And yet we think it's so foolish sometimes. This is, this is where prayer and God's word and God's community come in. That he wants you in these things because you can't know and understand his plan if you don't know how he thinks. That's what your Bible is. This is what God thinks of himself. I, my, my wife has a good friend. I won't say who, they know who. But I love watching these two women look each other without saying anything. And I, I, like, I'm just like, what did you just say? And afterwards, it's like, well, she was saying this and this and this and this and this. I was like, from a look? Yes, from a look. Do you know why? Because they know how each other's thinks. They've been so much together that there's one look, it's like, oh yeah, totally. I'm like, what just happened there? How do you get that? Relationship, that's how you get that. Study. Do you know how many thousands, millions of hours they have spent on the phone? In person? 
in groups. Like, like it didn't come overnight. That comes from long attendance to relationship. Friends, I'm not trying to get you to read your Bible more as much as to say, if you want to know God's plan and understand it, you have to know how he thinks. Because the growing maturing of a Christian is actually someone who goes, you know, I don't know exactly what God would say, but I know how he thinks about this stuff, so... I can make a decision like this. I don't exactly know how to pray for you, but here's what God thinks, and so I can pray because I know what he, he's like. Because he told me. And the things that he hasn't told me, he's allowed me some freedom to ask. Which is why some of you go, well, what about... What about things like, if, if God's in charge, then why even pray? I was like, because God's in charge, you can pray. Why would you ask a God to do anything when he's not really in control? You would only really ask someone who actually can do something about it. And here's the thing, is that sometimes God's plan is to say, my plan is for you to ask me what you want. Because in that, you sort through your own motives. And you realize prayer isn't something that you need to do to get God's attention. Prayer is something you need to do to get your attention. And he wants the relationship that matters to him. In Proverbs 16, 2 says that all plans are evaluated by God. All of the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Which means that if God is the master planner, then he can see right through your shady plans. Aren't you glad? Some of you are like, not really. The older I get, the more thankful I am for unanswered prayer. There are two requests for sure, and I won't name who those girls are. <laughs> but I am so thankful God did not answer my prayer for me to marry them. What a disaster in my head. Do you know why those prayers weren't answered? Because God sees right through my motives to what's really good for me, not what I want. You see, sometimes our unanswered prayers are far better off. And, and I can only imagine that God's like, oh, you, you, seriously, you do not want to ask that. You do not want me to answer this. In fact, I'm not going to answer that, but not because I don't love you, but because I do. And I think when we see that God weighs out these things Aren't you glad that the master planner can see right through your motives? Aren't you grateful? Doesn't it make you at least want this to be true if you don't yet believe it? And lastly, let me end this way and say, God had the best plan in the world. It's called his plan for salvation. Julie read it. Before we were created. There was a plan to redeem us and show us his glory. 
Him knowing ahead of time was not a hindrance to him. In fact, I want to end here with Ephesians 1, 3 to 6, which for some is a very scary text, but I would actually say this, should, this is intended to comfort us. And Paul writes to a church in Ephesus, and he starts right here, Blessed or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined or planned for us, for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Do you hear the master plan there? He chose. He planned. He planned to choose us. Friends, you are not here by accident this morning. You are not here by accident this decade. You are no accident at all. You are planned to be here. And God planned for you to hear the gospel. And he has planned for you to respond. And some of you have. And some of you have not yet. But he did this out of love. His plan is not birthed out of even what is best for him. But actually what is best for him and best for us. That in love... We were planned for this. And this plan has already been successful, friends. That's why Jesus on the cross, when he completed the great project that he had come to complete, he said, it is finished. No more sacrifices. No more need for you to try to pay for these sins. No more you have to earn your way to God. None of that. This has been paid for. I planned for this. It happened. It's done. Here's the next step of the plan. Believe it. Believe it. Turn from your wisdom. Turn to his. Believe that his plan succeeds. Believe that his plan will accomplish what he says it will. Believe that he has given you everything you need. That's it. And so this morning, let us, let's just pray and ask that we continue to believe in God's plan and his wisdom for our lives. Jesus, I have to admit how foolish I have really been in so many different areas. But I know I'm not the only one who feels foolish this morning. And so take our foolish plans and redeem them. And give us hearts that don't just say sorry for the foolishness that we have committed, but actually that desire deeply to be wiser. We need your wisdom. I do. And so Jesus, would you accept our request to make us wiser? to understand that you are the master planner and your plan is better than my silly plan, no matter how good it is.
and that you will accomplish what you want, but at the same time, Jesus, you want me involved. Help me to see the goodness. Help us to see the goodness in this, Jesus, as we plan for our days and our weeks ahead. It's in your name we pray. Amen.